coming to the last chapter of Hebrews. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at what in Hebrews how Jesus is greater than. And we come to the 13th chapter. It's the last chapter of the book. And we're going to be looking at a verse this morning, which I would say is my life verse. Now, often when you say, oh, it's your life verse, that means it's your favorite verse. This is not my favorite verse. It's my life verse, but it's not my favorite verse. And perhaps when we get to it, you understand why at the end of this time. As a preacher, I've been at this church for about 26, 27 years, and I've worked out that on average, if I preach 40 times a year, that means I've done about a thousand messages. A thousand messages. Can you imagine? If you have been here for every one of them, I really want to apologize now. The grace of God be upon you. Uh, But I do want to say that every time I look at the scriptures and every time you open your Bible, even if it's a verse you've read before, God has the opportunity, you are giving God the opportunity to speak into your life. And it is amazing when we think about through history how much of a struggle for so many people it has been to have a Bible. And yet you have one in your hand, on your phone, on your smart device, and you have the opportunity, something even greater than that, to be able to read and hear the voice of the Spirit. And that's what I hope happens today. I hope as we look at this scripture, the last, we're going to be looking at the first six verses of Hebrews 13. And as we do that today, I really pray and I really hope that you are encouraged and challenged and changed because you are giving God the opportunity to speak into your heart and to speak into your soul. So, yes, I've been a pastor for a long, long time, uh, longer than many of you have been alive. And I have had a struggle, and I will be a little bit open this morning. I've had the biggest struggle in ministry life that I have had has been that I like to be liked. Does anyone else like to be liked? Does anyone like want to not be liked? Because there would be some but you're not going to put your hand up. Uh, But I think we all like to be liked. And I like to be liked. I like friendship. I like people to think I'm doing a good job. And I suppose my biggest struggle in ministry life has been seeing what other pastors, other leaders, other people do and being guilty of comparison. And when we compare, we can so often fall in the trap of dissatisfaction with what it is that God has given us. I've seen some wonderful, strong leaders doing amazing things. Some pastors have been incredible uh, leaders. And so often in leadership, you make decisions which are the right decision, but people don't like those decisions. So you can imagine what it's like for me to be someone who likes to be liked and having to make decisions that people don't always like. We have been through the worship wars in this church. If you've been around church for as long as me or maybe longer, you will know what the term worship wars mean. But when when I first came to this church, if I'm honest, and I know there are some here who were there, uh, you know, if the 1920s came back in style, we were ready for that time. And we were in fashion in the 1920s. We were not in fashion in the 1980s. And so there's been lots of stuff that's had to change and tough decisions that have been made. But if I'm honest with you, and I will be honest with you this morning, and Frank, I've not always made decisions as quickly as what I should have. 
and I've been slow. And that's because I don't want to upset people. At the seven-year mark in my career, I suggested that we change our constitution, that we sell all our buildings, uh, that we move, and that was a big change. Uh, and we met, went and we met in a community centre for six years with no building. And it was there that we learnt the joys and the pain of set up and pat down every week. And it's funny, you know, I look back at that time with fondness and I forget how much hard work it was and how bad it was to be down there setting up everything for church every week. But I look back in fondness because I felt like we're on our way to the promised land. But the promised land took a lot longer than any of us thought it would. And so the last long service leave I took, I had definitely hit a time of depression and numbness that I talked about last week. All my life I've worried myself with what people like rather than what God wants or even what I want. And that's a struggle. I don't want to be someone that doesn't care what other people like and want. I think if you are the sort of person that just doesn't care, about what other people think, like and want, then you're not a very nice person. So there is a balance because we have to care for each other's needs and be concerned with the other. But where it's a problem is where it debilitates you from being able to make difficult choices and difficult decisions and make decisions that people are not going to be happy with. And I I do want to say, there are some of you here this morning And you need to make some decisions which may very well upset people and may very well upset people that are close to you and people that you love and that you don't want them to be upset with you. And yet you have got some decisions you need to make that people around you are not going to like. Because as much as I have just talked about myself, This message is not about me, it's about, I want it to be about you. And I want you to think about what it is that God might be saying to you and in what areas of your life you actually need to make some difficult decisions that may be very challenging to you and to the people around you. Hebrews 13 is a chapter full of moral teaching and it's all clustered together. Very common for an ancient writer would put together a whole lot of moral teachings at the end of the book that they had written. And so it is with Hebrews. We've been through Hebrews or we've we've skimmed over the top of it, if we're honest, because we could spend 12 months in Hebrews and still not get it. But basically we have seen that Jesus is greater than. He's greater than everything. Michelle started us off with that message on Jesus is greater than the angels. And we've dealt with a whole heap of different things where we have seen throughout the book that Jesus is greater than everything. And this morning, our idea, our thought is that Jesus is greater than your fears. He's greater than your fears. And if there's anything that is going to debilitate you in life and stop you from doing what God wants you to do and even what you know is the right thing to do, it's going to be the fact that you are afraid. And fear is terribly debilitating. I feel like as we come to the end of this season in my life, um, for a season at least, uh, and you're going to get a lot of really good teaching and the Holy Spirit is going to be close to you, 
I feel like I just want to say a few things this morning based around this verse just as I leave. And so, my life verse, Hebrews 13, and if you've been reading, you would have guessed by now, it's verse 6. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What is there that man can do to me? Of course, the answer is nothing. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? It may surprise some of you that I'm actually a bit of an introvert. In, in fact, if for me, uh, a day spent by myself in the company of Mark is a great day. And I come out of that day feeling energised and okay about myself. If I don't have to talk to someone in a day, because I talk to people all the time and all day. If I have a day where I literally, I think, I've gone nowhere today. Some of you are going, that is the worst day ever. I'm saying, that is the best day ever. I love that day. Some of you are saying, I don't have enough friends. I have too many friends. I have so many friends and I have so many people that want to talk to me. And I do love that. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love a good party and I love people and I love being with you. But I will go home today after talking to people and I will be exhausted. And I'll just need some mark time. So why the heck is it that God wanted me to be a preacher? I mean, you, you all know stuff so much about me. Many of you will know the name of my cat. Does anyone know the name of my cat besides the people over here? Lola. And what's the name of my dog? Alfie. And how come you know the name of Alfie? Because he's a little dog. Thank you. <laughs> you all know well not all because some people here have this is your first time oh, welcome I mean that <laughs> sorry and apologies you all know a lot about me and I feel like Moses Lord why on earth are you sending me I can't I stumble over my words <laughs> and you know that's true of me why? Why does God do that? Consider yourself. Consider what you're like. Consider what you feel comfortable doing. Consider what you'd prefer to be doing. I want to say to you that God is not interested in your comfort. And God is not interested in taking you to places that you feel good and right about all the time. Not, not morally good, but... God is interested in taking you to places that are going to stretch you and may actually be very well against your natural personality type and what you lean towards. And later on, I'm going to talk about what it means to have God talk to you. And I, I want to say that very often what feels right to you and feels comfortable is not what God wants you to do at all, at all. And you see that in the scriptures, even Jesus God, if you could take this cup from me, please. What's God calling you to? Don't assume it's going to be something that you're going to want to do. Or that you feel like you can just do without even thinking about it. 
the West Australian had as their editorial this week, isn't the essence of leadership the art of making unpopular decisions when it's the right thing to do? Unpopular decisions when it's the right thing to do, the essence of leadership. The question about whether a decision is right or wrong, I mean, that's actually probably even another question. And sometimes you don't know if the decision is right or wrong until well and truly after the event. A good leader will actually question their decisions. A leader who never seeks counsel and never doubts and never wonders if they've made the right choice, that's not a good leader. A good leader will seek counsel. They will let themselves sit in the place of doubt for a while. They'll question their decisions and they'll question the decisions and ask for people to give them feedback on those decisions. But of course, you never want to be someone that is debilitated and not able to make a decision because of fear and because you're just so unsure. And so if you've got some decisions to make in your life and you are doubting them and you're wondering if it's the right thing to do or not, that's a great place to start. Not a good place to finish, but it's a good place to start because a good leader will question and ask questions and then will step forward in faith. Faith, of course, being the antidote to fear. The Bible makes it really clear that we together as a church will make much better decisions together than what we will if there's just one person. It seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to them in the book of Acts when the church came together around very difficult decisions. It seemed right to them and to the Holy Spirit. And yet we also do see people standing up and sharing and leading and there are people that are appointed as leaders and we allow them the grace to lead. And you have allowed me the grace to lead. Let's have a look at the verses before. And the verses before of Hebrews 13, it feels to me like these are some teaching, uh, uh, almost like a shotgun approach, almost like the writer just wants to get a whole heap of stuff out before he finishes this magnificent book. It's like the first 12 chapters are an argument to say, Jesus is greater than. And now in 13 verse 1 to 5, he's going to just give some things, some pithy statements, some stuff that is really important. And I want to Touch on these. And maybe it might feel a bit like these verses are just shoved together at the end with no unifying theme. I think there is a theme here. Or at least I see a theme, and it's in verse 6. But I want to read these verses. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realising it. Amazing. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as, uh, as if you let their pain in your own bodies, felt your pain, that pain in your own bodies. Give honour to marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Basically, these five verses are God setting out for you how he wants you to live, particularly in certain aspects of your life, sex, money, and power. And it's my last sermon for a while, so we're going to talk about sex. 
thought they'd get a bigger reaction. Uh, let's go to that next slide. Thanks, Chloe. Some life principles. Only have sex with your spouse. And I've really thought long and hard about how to put that. Because in this room, there is a stack of people that are single or don't have a spouse. So this principle applies to you. Only have sex with your spouse. There's a stack of people in here that are married. Only have sex with your spouse. The principle applies. And do you know what happens if we are thinking about and even partaking in relationships with someone that is not our spouse, we are actually expressing dissatisfaction with what God has provided to us. We're actually not trusting God. That's a hard word because I know there are some here who would love to be married and having normal relationships with their partner in life and that is not a reality for you. For some people you're thinking, I wish God would provide me with someone. I understand, at least in part. Your time hasn't come. God hasn't provided yet. Be content in all circumstances. For some here today, you're actually thinking about other people instead of your spouse. Maybe you're even having relationships with other people and they're not your spouse. You're breaking the covenant of marriage. And you're also expressing a deep dissatisfaction with what God has provided for you. You're not trusting God. You're not trusting God that he actually has the best for you and he knows what is best for you. You're denying God. That's why it's such a problem. To be hospitable, are you giving of yourself and your home? Over giving of yourself and your home. You know, hospitality has nothing to do with whether you have a beautiful home and can cook uh, amazing food. That's, if you have that talent, that's amazing and that's wonderful. Use that talent. If you have a beautiful home and you can cook really well. But you don't need that talent to exercise the gift of hospitality. The gift of hospitality is you opening your heart, your life, your time, to people. You are saying, come down to Hungry Jack's with me. Go off to down the beach and have a sausage sizzle. Uh, do something. Inviting people into your life. Welcoming them in. Being a good neighbour. Hospitality is not about the amazing meal you can prepare. It's the fact that you are willing to share your heart and your life with others. It's about the fact you see someone that is lonely. It's about the fact that you see someone that could be your friend. And for some of you, you think, I haven't got anything to offer. And I don't have something to offer other people. You're not trusting God. Because God has actually given you something that you have to offer someone else. He, God has actually made you to be in community with other people. He's actually made you to be hospitable to others. So find and do creative ways, whatever you can, in order to be hospitable. To not be materialistic. Pastor Jess has already touched on this a little bit in her offering talk. 
Do you know the way to prove you're not materialistic? It's actually to see what you're willing to give away. I was preaching once in, well, years ago, and I read out the verse about love and money and the love of money. And I read it out and I misquoted it deliberately to see what would happen. And someone piped up and said, wrong, that's not how you pronounce it, that's not how you say it. It's not money that is the problem. And it's not even what you've got that is the problem. Because you can look at someone and you can see they've got a shiny boat and a brand new four-wheel drive and a beautiful house and you can say they are materialistic. That is not the standard of whether someone is materialistic or not. Because you can have the poorest person that there is and they can be materialistic because it's actually about what you're willing to give away. It's what you are willing to give away that will actually determine whether you are materialistic or not. It's whether you are going to be faithful with your finances. It's whether you are going to say to God, God, I can give away a tithe. I can give away a tenth of my salary. I can give it to you and to the things of you. Because why? Because I'm actually trusting in you. How you know you are materialistic is when you are not trusting God. You express that trust of God by giving away and by being generous. Now, I, I, this, is a, this has been a, an area of struggle for me up until, well, it's, it's always going to be a struggle. I deliberately put in place things. I have to say, no, this is what I'm giving away. This is how I'm being generous. Yes, I'm going to buy this person the first round or the first drink. And I actually have to do that deliberately for me because it's a struggle. If you find this a struggle, then start to practice generosity even before you feel like doing it. And as you're doing that, what are you doing? What are you expressing? It's such a a beautiful thing to say, I trust God with my finances. And I trust that he knows what is best for my life so I can give this away. And to devote your life to God and to caring for others. You know, there's a time, and this is what I've been leading up to, where as your pastor, as a minister, as a leader, and you may have this in your life as well, there are going to be moments where you need to confront someone and talk to someone. And it can be the greatest thing you do, the greatest act of love, to lovingly confront and deal with someone, to devote your life to God and caring for others. Why do I find it hard to do that? Because I'm more concerned about what someone is thinking of me than what I am of what God is thinking of me. I wonder if that is something you've struggled with too. I wonder if there's moments where you've known you needed to say something, but you put far too much value on what that person is going to think and say and not enough value on actually what God may actually be saying to you. And we do that because we're scared. And unfortunately, in that moment, we're not showing love. Here is my challenge. (laughs) Here is my challenge. Here is my latest bugbear. Here is something I really feel is from God. And an ironic sort of a statement... I feel it's something God has told me. 
But you know what happens when someone says, God has told me? It's like you're playing a game of cards and they have the highest value card that just trumps every other card. And they pull out the God card and they say, God has told me. And they throw that card down the table and that is the last word on the matter. God has told me. And I feel sometimes people have said that to me and I've backed up and I said, well, I can't argue with that. Well, I'm going to take a step back on the table and I'm going to say, hmm, actually, I'm going to argue with that. Actually, I'm going to question whether God actually told you that or not. Did he tell you that? Has God actually said? There's a list of things up on the screen behind me and I could pick through them. God has told me that I should live with my girlfriend or my boyfriend because it feels right and it feels like the right thing to do. And God has told me, hmm, has he? I feel like I don't need to really come to church or be part of a church community or be involved in, in church life. I feel like I don't really want to open my home up to others and be hospital because it's just not how God has wired me. Hmm, is that right? I feel like I don't need to give to church or missions or anything of God's work because those people are not really doing the things the way I would do it and so I'm going to do my own thing. This is just my point and I know this is a tough word and it's okay because I'm speaking to a crowd of people and I'm sure this is for someone else. It's not for you, right? <laughs> you can't play the God card if all you're listening to is yourself. We're actually designed to be in community. We're actually designed to be in church. We're actually designed to be in fellowship. We're actually designed to have feedback from each other. And just because you feel a certain way and just because it feels right and this feels like what I should be doing, that doesn't make it God's will and it doesn't make it God's way. I wonder what it is in your life that God is challenging you. Is he challenging you to say, all right, I need to deal with this situation at home. It's not a healthy situation. Is he saying to you, I need to put in place my finances? Is he saying to you, I need to stop just being focused on myself all the time and actually consider others? You know, in a few moments, not yet, team, but in a few moments we're going to be sharing communion with each other. And I've just been thinking a lot about that question that was asked of Jesus when they came up and said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God, love others. As yourself. It's actually really, really simple. So when it comes to what God wants you to do, is it a decision that is honouring God and everything he said? Is it a decision that is unselfish? And is it thinking about other people? That really is the basis. And I don't want to let any fear, I don't want to be an arrogant jerk who doesn't care what other people say. 
But neither do I want to be someone that allows my fear of what other people are going to think and say of me to stop me doing what is the most important thing in life. And that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. You know what? Honestly, there are people here today and you need to think about this year ahead. And you need to think what this year ahead looks like for you. And there needs to be a realignment about what are the most important things in your life. So as the band does come forward, we're going to be singing that new song uh, again. And they're going to sing it for you today. But I want to do something special. Because a few months ago, I had these wristbands made up and some of you wouldn't know about this and on the wristband is love lord your god i actually have got a hundred of these left over which is more than everyone in the building so i'm sorry if you miss out but (laughs) recently because i wear this love the lord your god when i go to the shower when i go on the beach and it got really faded and i thought i want a new one so i just went and grabbed one as you come forward for communion and i'd ask the helpers to come up And we remember the blood of Jesus. We remember his body broken for us. If you would like, just as an expression, these are scriptures straight from Deuteronomy. You can put it on your wrist. It reminds you to love the Lord your God. If you feel like maybe your wristband is a bit faded, and I'm using that as a bit of an allegory, okay? I'm saying maybe it's time for a bit of a renewal of your heart. Maybe it's time for you to come and put off the old year and put on a new one to remind you of what is the most important thing. So the idea is that we keep social distance. We come forward, we take the cup, we take the bread, eat and drink of that. And if you'd like one, you come forward and I'll give you one. There's a hundred here, I hope they all go. And put that on your wrist.